Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. I'm Grant Wall, and we've got one of our favorite regular guests on today to talk mainly about the end of the transfer window over in Europe. He's Dan Altman, the founder of North Yard Analytics and one of the world's leading voices on soccer analytics. Dan, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me again, Grant. Always a pleasure. Transfer window, uh, about to close shut. Moves have happened. Some will still happen. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, just kind of different things about this transfer window and, and the transfer window in general. It's, uh, to me, a fascinating topic, and I think we're learning about it more and more as time goes on. You obviously look at it from an analytics perspective. Uh, and I just wanted to start, I guess, by asking in general terms, what are some of the do's and don'ts of the transfer window, whether it's when and how to do business, what to watch for, anything else like that? Well, I think one of the don'ts that we see a lot is teams waiting till the very last minute and then essentially getting stuck in a holdup problem where someone has them over a barrel and, and they can demand whatever price that they want uh, because the team has to bring in a player to fill a position or because the fans are expecting something and, and there will be cries for the heads of various team officials if they don't bring someone in. Uh, those are situations where you end up overpaying. Uh, and overpaying is a big issue this season, especially in England, because everybody knows there's a lot more TV money floating around the, with the new UK TV deal that they have there. Uh, and so every team will be like uh, teams like Chelsea and, and, and Manchester United used to complain about, where if you know the identity of the buyer, the price goes up two or three times. Uh, but some of the do's, I think, are things that we're starting to see in this window. Teams that do their business early, try and get it out of the way, uh, not only does that mean you're less likely to overpay, but it also means that you show other players whom you might want to recruit that you're serious and you're getting good people into your squad. Uh, that could help to attract even more players that you might hope to sign later on. And it also might put your competitors sort of on the back foot because they see, oh, there's a team that we're competing with and it's improving. We better do something. We didn't know we had to do this, but now we're, we're forced into action. And you sort of always want to be the leader rather than the follower in these types of dynamics. Another problem, though, that we see is, uh, speaking of leaders and followers, sometimes one deal is contingent on many other deals happening. You know, we will let you have this player, but only if we can buy this other player. But maybe that other player only gets sold if something else happens. And there's sort of a merry-go-round that has to start turning for these deals to occur. Now, if you're the third or fourth person down that chain, then you don't really have control over the situation. And that's a bad situation to be in if you're trying to solidify your roster. Okay. So are there any particular examples this transfer window this summer of teams that got their business done early and were smart about the way they went about it? Well, Dortmund definitely got their business done early. Uh, it, it was pretty remarkable, actually. They, their, their main sales were three players, Mkhitaryan, Hummels, and Gundogan. And, uh, you know, they got good prices for these players. You would think uh, these players are in their peak years, but they, they got 27 million euros for Gundogan, 35 for Hummels, uh, and 42 for Mkhitaryan, which are pretty big prices. Though, uh, you know, two of these players went to England, right. where you expect prices to be higher now. And you're in a situation where basically, plus wages, you're probably going to have to pay about 10 million pounds per year in transfer fee to bring in a star player. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're expecting to get someone who's going to be good for four years, that's maybe a 40 million pound transfer fee, plus whatever the wages are going to be, if you're trying to get them out of their contract. Um, so these prices are about what you'd expect. 
but you know, they sold three very good peak age players and then they brought in essentially a whole new team mm-hmm. um, or at least enough players to, to do that. Um, they brought in Andre Shirley, uh, who didn't have a great season last year with uh, Wolfsburg, but uh, you know, we've seen him play better in the yeah. past. Uh, Mario Goetze, the same at Bayern Munich. You know, it's even possible to have a bad season at Bayern Munich. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we've seen him play well in the past. Uh, and, and of course, he was at Dortmund before. Um, so these are players uh, that, that we probably would expect to succeed. Uh, Rafael Guerrero, uh, a little bit less of a fan from the analytics side, but uh, you know he had a good tournament over the summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a 22-year-old left back, he's already a pretty good defender. We'll see if he can improve his attacking as well. To me, though, the sleeper is uh, Mikel Marino from uh, Osasuna, huh. which was playing in the second division in Spain last season. But uh, as, a, as a central midfielder, and also occasionally as a defensive midfielder, he just set that league on fire. Uh, and they only paid 3.75 million euros for him. Wow. He's 20 years old, and you know he could be one of the best central midfielders of his generation. Wow. So Dortmund, you're a big fan of what they've done this summer. Um, are there any teams that maybe you're kind of looking at what they've been doing the transfer window this summer, and you're kind of scratching your head wondering what's up? Well, Roma... It, it's hard not to scratch your head because there's so much to take in. You know, I, I, I have a piece of paper here that has all of Dortmund's uh, buying and selling activity just on one sheet of paper. And, and then I have four here for Roma because <laughs> they had 44 uh, players coming in or back off of loan and they had 38 players going out or back onto loan. I mean, it, it just took me a couple of hours to sort through all the things that were going on. Sometimes there were players who were double loaned from one team and then to another team. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the players that they've spent the most on this summer, uh, Mohamed Salah from Chelsea, which is after his loan to Roma, the same with Sharawi from Milan and Seco from Manchester City. They all had pretty good seasons, probably Salah and Sharawi, definitely very good seasons, yeah. un- unexpectedly for some people in Sharawi's case. Um, but they had very good seasons. So you could see that that was a sort of try before you buy and they, they liked it. So they mm-hmm. bought Seco. He's 30 years old. His season was Okay. Um, but they don't have another player like that, so maybe that's why they wanted to lock him down. But then you've got the guy they spent the most on, who's a Brazilian uh, uh, a winger named Gerson, or Gerson, 19 years old. Uh, and I'm not quite yet seeing the signals that this guy's going to be a big star. Huh. It's hard to tell when you're 19, um, but it's kind of maybe a 50-50 bet. Now, they spent 16.6 million euros on him, which is you know not a ton for the coming of the Messiah, uh, but uh, he may not be the Messiah. And then uh, Diego Perotti coming in from Genoa. Uh, again, you know, pretty good attacker on the left wing, not such a great defender. Um, so kind of a so-so deal, but 9 million euros there. They didn't really splash out too much for, for anybody. They also bought uh, Antonio Rudiger after his loan, and, and he's a very good center back, so that's probably a decent deal. But then there are some head scratchers, like you said. Uh, Mario Rui, a left back from uh, Empoli. Uh, I'm not quite seeing it. Um, and and then there are a bunch of prospects who've come in, and, and we've, we've yet to see how well they play, like Mustafa Sek, uh, Frank Cedric, uh, and Kuchu. Uh, we, we have yet to see. The, the real thing that made me wonder, though, I don't know if you saw the Adam Leic deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leic is, and I'm not going to pronounce his name correctly, but I'm going to try it. Leic, uh, he went to enter for 8.5 million euros, which may rise to 9 million, a whole 500,000 euros more if he performs well. 
And this guy is one of the best wingers in Europe, possibly. Uh, he's a player that I would have probably told some of my clients to go out and get if I knew that they could get him so cheap. Yeah. So I don't know why a guy who's 24 and already shown so much promise is selling so cheap. I uh, don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. A player where they did a smarter deal was Antonio Sanabria. Okay. Uh, young Paraguayan forward, 20 years old now. And they sold him, after loaning him to Gijon, they sold him uh, for $7.5 million, all right, to Betis. And that seems pretty low too for, mm-hmm. for a guy who's quite a good prospect. But they've got two great clauses in there. One is uh, they can buy him back for 11 million euros next year mm-hmm. or 11 the year after or 14 and a half the year after that. Or if they decide not to, they get half of all his, his sell-on transfer fees. Okay. So they've essentially hedged that bet. Uh, so that was smart. Uh, but, but a couple other things, who knows? Well, it's already been a bit of a rough week, obviously, for Roma, uh, not in Champions League group stages. They go out. Um, does that hurt them as well, potentially, uh, from a financial perspective? Well, you know, they've done so much business already. I don't know if they were trying to track down another player before this is over. Yeah. They might have a harder time attracting a player to play in the Europa League versus the Champions yeah. League. Um, financially, yeah, this is a huge dent. You know, that could be worth 20 million euros or more to them shifting down from Champions League to Europa League. Uh, so that's 10 million euros per red card uh, in the match that they played <laughs> yesterday. Um, but... Uh, uh, you know, it's going to hurt them, uh, at least in the short term. They may end up loaning some of these many players out because they may not want to commit as many resources to a Europa League campaign. Right. Um, we'll see if they try out some of the younger players there, maybe not as much a stake as there would be in the Champions League. Okay. Now, one other question I've got is, it is we're recording this on Wednesday uh, around midday, so there's going to be moves coming between now and the, and the deadline itself, obviously. But are there any big clubs in Europe that you're kind of shaking your head about as far as clubs that should have acted earlier in this window and are now finding themselves in a position where, like we were talking about earlier, they're going to probably be forced to overspend potentially for a move? Well, this is something that seems to happen to Arsenal every season. Um, And uh, I just saw Wenger coming out in the press this week saying, the money's there if we want to spend it. Well, that's great. You have only a few (laughs) days left. Um, And, uh, of course, the fans are getting a bit nervous as usual. They always want a new center forward no matter what. Um, They may need a new center back as well, depending on what's happening there. Uh, But uh, that's one club that always is a question mark. I think the Premier League is going to be really competitive this season, and so uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see more big deals with big money happening soon. Uh, obviously, Manchester United with Pogba got it done without having to make sure a fax arrived in the middle of the night, like <laughs> what went wrong with De Gea recently. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if there's some big penny waiting to drop somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if PS, PSG went out and bought another one or two big-name players. Uh, but apart from that, I, I, I don't know if there's some huge blockbuster waiting to happen. Okay. Now, we talked about Arsenal, mentioned Man United. One big talking point entering the summer was the amount of money that the Premier League teams have this year as compared to previous years because this is the first year of the new television deal. And it's it's huge money. I mean, we talked about it from time to time on the podcast, but basically the the 20th team in the Premier League is now 
am I correct in saying wealthier than AC Milan when it comes to the, the ability, the income, the revenue coming in right now? Uh, potentially, yes. Uh, it depends in large part on whether they can maintain their status in the league. Yeah. I mean, they'll get some bigger parachute payments if they drop out of the league. Uh, but yes, I, I think almost any English team now has buying power to compete with all but, let's say, five or six teams on the continent. And it's impressive, right, when you see a team like Crystal Palace that's paying 25 to 30 million pounds for a guy like Christian Benteke. And then one of their players comes out and says, well, he's not messy. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> so what would you pay for Messi? Um, but uh, uh, yes, it, it is a very different world. Uh, what I think we're going to see long term here is that more foreign players of very high quality will be tempted by the money to come to England. Um, it's going to mean more competition uh, for English players trying to get into these sides, it may mean that the gap between the quality of the foreign players and the quality of the English players is going to get a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, the players have the bargaining power. So all this money that comes in from the broadcasting rights is really going to end up in the pockets of the star players. Okay. Uh, maybe not all of it, but a lot of it. Uh, and so the teams that are able to buy high-quality players for lower prices, whether they're using analytics or other forms of scouting to identify those players, uh, are the ones who are going to be able to be profitable mm-hmm. to actually pocket some of this money uh, for the team and the owners. Uh, but the rest uh, who are going for these marquee players, I think the agents are smart enough to see that they've got the bargaining power and they can just grab that money. Have, have what we, is what we've seen so far in the transfer window sort of meeting your expectations about how this increased TV money in the Premier League would impact things? What's interesting to me is how much of it is actually trading between teams in the Premier League. (laughs) (laughs) I would have thought that agents and teams from the continent would be able to gouge a little bit more out so far. I mean, as I said, some of these fees for Mkhitaryan, Gundogan, um, going to Manchester United and Manchester City... uh, respectively, I would have thought that those fees would be even higher, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and maybe they're getting it in wages. You know, okay. Maybe it's going in agents' fees and wages. Maybe the money's going somewhere else. Um, after all, if it's really the player who has the bargaining power, you want it to go to the player and not to the selling club. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I expect that this time next year we'll be seeing fees that are even bigger. Okay, interesting. Any other topics Any uh, about the transfer window, do's and don'ts? Uh, what to watch for in the coming days that are worth discussing? Well, one thing that's been interesting this summer is that there's been almost as much, I I would exaggerate if I said almost as much, but there's been a lot of talk about sporting directors relative to players. Yeah. Um, And uh, Monchi, the sporting director at Sevilla, who's been very successful at identifying players, getting them cheap, and then selling them on for big fees, uh, has, has gotten coverage in the press. Uh, people always talk about Michael Zork at, at Dortmund, as we mentioned earlier, uh, and uh, some technical scouts moving around. You know, Aston Villa got a new technical scout um, who'd been successful elsewhere. Uh, and um, I, I think that there's more attention being paid to those people who are in the middle of the process. They used to be almost anonymous before. Uh, it's fascinating to me because for as many managers that there are out there who are stars, you know, global figures who we would recognize walking down the street, not too many people still, 
in Europe even would know Monchi, the Sevilla guy, the director of football walking down the street. And this guy's like a mythical figure among us in the, yeah. you know, in, in the soccer community. Um, you know, the same thing you could say for Michael Zork at Dortmund, who's been there for several years now and, and outlasted managers, but still continues to have a big impact on, on the market. But there's still not a lot of directors of football out there who are known as, you know, these big figures. And I'm curious to see if that does change. We're starting to see media pick up more. There was a good feature in The Guardian on um, on Monchi, uh, the Sevilla guy, uh, right around the time they're in the Europa League final. You know, Zork's known. Um, but there's still not that many directors of football out there. And you would think that these guys would be bigger figures and and start to be known more and more, especially a guy like Monchi, who when you see what he's done with Sevilla with limited money and all of the trophies they've won, and they've done pretty well in the Spanish league too, you would think these guys would be bigger. Yeah. I mean, though it was the, maybe the first time I've ever seen it this summer where there were sort of transfer rumors about Monchi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. But uh, uh, one thing I would say is the trend uh, in Europe has been for several years, and it's starting in England as well to be the case, that the se the separation between uh, a manager's say over tactics and a director of football say over players is starting to uh, get a little bit broader, a little yeah. bit wider. And I mean, Klopp came to Liverpool and said basically the club buys the players. You know, I, I, I can offer my advice, but I, I'll coach the players who are given me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Francesco Guidolin at uh, Swansea said something similar uh, recently. The more you have these European, or I should say continental, coaches who come to England and are used to focusing on coaching and not necessarily trying to run the whole transfer window the way an Alex Ferguson or a David Moyes would, um, then, then you're starting to see the, the sporting directors get a bit more attention because yeah. that's who the fans and the journalists are going to look to as pulling the trigger on these deals. All right. Well, Dan Altman, great discussion as always. Thanks again for joining the Planet Football Podcast. It was fun. Thanks. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.